The following program is a paid advertisement. The views reflected on this show are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. Doctor? 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 You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. And hello again, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. My name is Steve Cashel. I'm radio host of the Chicago Bulls. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls and co-team physician of the Chicago White Sox, sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush and Rush University Medical Center. As always, we're going to talk about a number of sports injury-related topics. We also have our website. Please visit sportsmedicineweekly.com. We're back to get it going right after this on ESPN 1000. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors. Regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality, state-of-the-art health care services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News & World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-BONES. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. Back here on Sports Medicine Weekly, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. Net proceeds from our program, Sports Medicine Weekly, go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the liveactivenow.org fund. Our producer and board operator, Felix Reyes. Our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger. And our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com. We've got great podcast as well on the ESPN web. Dr. Cole, uh, you being the uh, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, um, my last tour through the Advocate Center, some interesting uh, mini pools, so to speak. You guys do a lot in the uh, in the water with the, with the players uh, for injury rehab? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the great thing about the pool is that based upon water level, um, you can uh, have variable resistance in training, you know. So we use it a lot for the lower extremity injury recovery as well as just, you know, general rehabilitation and, in fact, even have treadmill running in the water. Uh, great device. The big challenge with it is we can't do a whole lot in upper extremity training. So we, we suffer a little bit in deficiencies there, but from lower extremity training, it's, it's wonderful. All right, let's bring our next guest uh, talking about uh, things you can do in the water. This guy has quite a resume. Matt Kredich is with us. Uh, he is the head swimming coach, University of Tennessee, he has uh, been an ass- uh, assistant coach with the Stanford women, the Harvard men, head coach at Brown University, University of Richmond, University of Tennessee women, Team USA. He's coached uh, U.S. Olympians, and it's great to have you on Sports Medicine Weekly, Matt. Thanks so much for, for joining us. How's everything? Everything's good. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun to be on ESPN. Good. Well, uh, tell me about Aqua Boom and uh we uh, had a little uh, thought here from our producer to bring this up, and I've never heard of it before, but what is Aqua Boom and what are the benefits? Well, the Aquaboom is a, um, it's a, a training device, really, that we use in an aquatic environment to, to pr- provide uh, a lot of different kinds of resistance exercises that I, I think um, you can certainly do on land, but when you do them in the water, you have the benefit of variable resistance, and also um, you, you've got variable gravity almost, because the water provides some flotation, and depending on how you are situated in the water, you can do, for instance, a pull-up with uh, you know, your, your body weight uh, half out of the water, half in. And so it, it, and, and then as you pull yourself up a little bit higher, then you obviously weigh more. 
so it's kind of a, a variable and progressive resistance implement. And man, we, we use it in, in dozens of different ways at Tennessee. And uh, that's what I want to say. I mean, is this for the uh, for the college swimmer, the high school swimmer, or uh, the recreational swimmer as well? Well, yes. I mean, it's really for all of them. In, in fact, if, if I were to put in a home pool, I would install an aqua boom because th- then you're essentially turning your pool into a complete gym. Um, as you were saying earlier, the, the, the water can provide resistance in a lot of different ways. Um, if you're a sw- if you're a competent swimmer, you can get a lot of different kinds of resistance uh, exercises in the water. But but for a recreational swimmer or you know t- somebody that just likes to be in the water, um, this can provide um, an avenue to do pull-ups at all different kinds of angles, um, resisted kicking, um, dozens of different core exercises. So we we use it as a as a conceptual um, uh, kind of le- learning tool. We. we if somebody's face is out of the water and they're essentially swimming vertically on this thing, I can provide them a level of instruction that I can't provide them in the water. And they're also getting a kind of feedback that they wouldn't get in the water. But for just a general fitness enthusiast, there are some exercise programs that go along with the aqua boom that I think provide a workout that will be as challenging as anything you can do on land. So are you integrating it with your standard swimming uh, training? You basically do do you know, sort of uh, intervals or – uh, cycle them through, hey, we're going to swim, now we're going to go on the aqua boom and do various strength exercises? Yeah, we will. We'll do um, strength exercises followed by swimming. We'll also do um, some, some fairly skilled exercises. There are some different configurations of bands, uh, both static and, um, and uh, elastic bands that we can put on the aqua boom. That we'll put them in, in body positions and, uh, and three ranges of motion that will uh, emphasize muscles and, and movements that we want to see them uh, be able to replicate in the stroke, and then they go right into swimming. And so it's a, it's a really powerful uh, strength-building tool, but also really good for teaching. So we'll alternate you know, a minute on the aqua boom and then you know, 100 or 200 of swimming, focusing on the, the, the concept that they were just focusing on, on the aqua boom. So we'll, we'll, have, we'll work it into circuits. We'll just do you know, one-on-one lessons with it. Um, we're using it in, in a lot of different ways. Our guest is Matt Kredich with the University of Tennessee as the head swimming coach. I'm Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole at Sports Medicine Week. We were talking about uh, this device called the Aqua Boom, and I'm looking at it right now online as we do this show. Theaquaboom.com is the website. And uh, since this is a sports medicine injury show, uh, Matt, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the injuries that you see for swimmers? Well, maybe the most common one is uh, like a biceps tendonitis. And, and that, there's, uh, from my perspective as a coach, I'm obviously not a doctor, but my, from my perspective, that injury is not an overuse injury as much as it is a uh, overuse of uh, of the shoulder in a bad mechanical position um yeah you you so, uh, so, you nailed it that's exactly what it is because i think you're right i'm sorry to interrupt but i'll just just to sort of hit it on the head it's not necessarily overuse of repetition but it might be associated with fatigue that leads to bo- poor biomechanics around the shoulder and i don't think you know you're 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 a bright guy i don't think a lot of coaches actually or families understand that but it's poor mechanics yeah exactly and it, and so in some ways swimming especially longer distance swimming can get a bad rap or you know, sometimes but butterflies blames, but like you said, it's fatigue leading to poor mechanics or even, unfortunately, 
poor instruction leading to poor mechanics, um, or not necessarily poor instruction, but in, uh, inaccurate uh, perception of of modeling or you know wh- whatever a, a coach may say to do something, and then the athlete hears it differently and, and does it poorly. But in any case, um, there's I mean swimmer shoulders is pretty common. Great stuff. Matt Kredich, University of Tennessee head swimming coach. Matt, uh, thanks so much for introducing us to the uh, Aqua Boom and uh, sharing some stories with us. Yeah, my pleasure. And and I will say that one of the great benefits is that teaching becomes a lot more more powerful on this thing. And we and if you're in a strong position, generally in swimming, you're not going to get hurt. And this uh, the exercises we, we use the Aqua Boom with um, really emphasize getting you into a strong position and reward you for that. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks a lot. Matt Kredich, head swimming coach, University of Tennessee, talking about the Aqua Boom. Back with more of Sports Medicine Weekly after this on ESPN Radio. Feeling tired, sluggish, and overweight? If you're looking to lose weight and gain energy, join us in Karen Mulkin's 14-Day Transformation Cleanse. You're going to absolutely love this Whole Foods cleanse. You'll feel great, lose weight, build lean muscle, improve sleep, boost metabolism, and enhance athletic performance. This VIP done-for-you cleanse comes with a 14-day transformation wellness bag containing MCT Lean Vegan Protein Blend, fat-burning MCT Lean MCT Oil, snacks, superfoods, recipes, guidelines, videos, and other surprises. You will absolutely love this program. Sign up at 14daytransformation.com. That's the numbers 14daytransformation.com or visit Karen's website at karenmulkin.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I-N.com. That's one way to end up on injured reserve. So is falling off a ladder, lifting something heavy. Uh, Ow, that's not good. Or having an accident at work. Uh-oh. Athletico helps all kinds of people come back from injured reserve. Schedule a free injury screening at athletico.com and find out how physical therapy can decrease pain and discomfort, increase strength and mobility, and help you get back to doing the things you love to do. Athletico Physical Therapy, better for everybody. Allosource's products help surgeons get their patients back into the game of life. Prochondrex, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective, fresh cartilage allograft designed to restore cartilage and restore movement. To learn more about Prochondrex, visit prochondrex.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Back here on Sports Medicine Weekly, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. This is... Chicago's premier sports medicine program coming your way each and every Saturday morning from 8.30 to 9, only on ESPN 1000. So, Dr. Cole, we had the NBA draft. We've had some craziness here with uh, NBA trades and free agency. Take me back to the combine. What was kind of the common theme as far as uh, injuries go? Were they foot and ankle? Were they knees? Were they shoulders? What would you see? Well, I would say we saw a lot of what we call fifth metatarsal fractures. That's the bone in the foot on the side that breaks and gets a screw put in it. That was a year of that. And then we had a number of guys who recently underwent ACL reconstruction who were in very phases, various phases of recovery. So those are the two things that we saw this year. Uh, every year has a flavor, I'd say, foot and ankle, mostly the foot, and then uh, recovering from an ACL reconstruction. Well, the Bulls recently traded for Zach Levine, great player from uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, and uh, he's now property of the Bulls. He underwent an ACL reconstruction uh, back in February. So... We don't want to talk specifics about the player. We want to support his family and the team. But let's talk about return to sport. So yeah. coming back from an ACL reconstruction, and you've seen it now with a number of NBA players and players in other sports and the recreational athlete, what's involved with the return to sport? When are they ready? 
I think that the best way to think about recovery after an ACL or any injury or surgery in general is in phases. And we typically divide it up into sort of four specific phases, right? So when you want, let's just say you underwent an ACL reconstruction. Okay. The first phase is what I call that maximal protection phase. And that's usually in the first six to eight weeks. There may be a brace involved. There may be crutches, protected weight bearing. And the goal is really to minimize inflammation, get your range of motion back, get your quads going, initiate core, you know, upstream muscle function, things like that. Just get things going with the least amount of irritation possible. And then there's that phase two, which is the progression to increasing activities, full weight bearing, get rid of the limb, still control swelling and limb control and things like that. And that typically goes on for yet another, say, four to six weeks. And as far as it goes for ACL reconstruction, typically most athletes are done with their crutches and their brace if they're prescribed a brace by, say, four weeks. Uh, most of them are, uh, they've lost their limp by then. Uh, we allow our athletes to run at 12 weeks because that's when we generally believe it's safe to avoid, say, fracture of if we do a patella tendon graft and we take a, a graft from the patella tendon, we take a little piece of bone so we worry about fracture. So we generally wait till about 12 weeks. We let them do sport-specific activities that are you know, you know, natural to their sport by about four or five months. And then typically around the five, five, six-month mark, what we'll ask our athletes to do is do something called a functional sports assessment. They'll actually do a video analysis that assesses single leg hop, double leg hop, cutting, pivoting, direction change, all the things that actually can put an athlete at risk for re-injury to see how they're doing because the whole idea is not only to get them sport ready but to actually prevent re-injury. And we have a number of factors. There's five or six of them that we can look at that have been associated with an ACL injury, a non-contact ACL injury. So we're spending a lot of time and energy around the five or six-month mark making sure all those injury protection mechanisms are up and running. You know, truth be told, many athletes can actually play much of their sport at four or five months. But the reason we hold them back to the seventh, eighth, ninth month is because we're trying to make sure they're fully rehabilitated so that issues like fatigue, you know, we've learned, for example, a lot of ACL injuries in the NBA happen in the fourth quarter. And we think that's largely because they get fatigued and those protection mechanisms are not keeping things safe, if you will. Sure. Women, very common in women have ACL tears, maybe five to seven times men, right? And that's because they run, they jump, they land differently than men do. All the same risk factors are present in a woman versus a man, but they tend to uh, have uh, the, they tend to decompensate in ways that men may not decompensate based upon their structure and form. So ACL prevention is big for men and women, but probably has a greater impact on women than men. I also want to ask you about, um, I heard an athlete have a meniscus situation, all right? And I really forget what sport. I'm going to have to research it again That's later right. today. It's common everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So they have a meniscus situation, but they avoid surgery. To me, that was interesting because I'm always thinking meniscus tear or meniscus situation. you got to go in. Do you not go in then? No, no. I mean, it's interesting. There's a, the, the, How's it the, treated? Yeah, the problem, you know, I have to deal with this every day. I see patients. About half my practice is knee, and meniscal problems are extraordinarily common. And patients come in, and they have, have knee pain. They go to a doctor. They get x-rays. Maybe shows a little bit of arthritis. The first thing that gets done, right or wrong, is they get an MRI. They're told they have a tear, and <clears throat> not a lot of explanation goes into it. And then they show up in the office with an MRI that shows a meniscal tear and no uh, consideration for non-surgical treatment. What you need to know is... Um, anyone, let's just say I were to obtain an MRI in anyone over the age of 50, okay? okay? Kind of relevant in this room this morning. Yep. So the percentage of individuals, say you take 100 people, get an MRI, I would say at least 40 of them would have a significant meniscus abnormality on an MRI. Yet none of them would know they have anything wrong with their knee, yeah. right? So the real question is why do some hurt and some don't? And we don't fully understand it. And I get patients who oscillate. In other words, they'll come in, they'll have a painful knee. I talk them off a ledge and say, look, I don't even know if I want to get an MRI. Let's give this a week or two, let this quiet down. And lo and behold, many things, will, many of these things will quiet down and never need surgery. The other thing we do frequently is we give cortisone injections. That's just an anti-inflammatory injection that will help dry a swollen knee that's been irritated, dry it out, right? And then at the same time, um, 
uh, can quiet down the pain and the inflammation that's associated with a meniscal tear and can miraculously make people feel better despite still having a tear. So many, many meniscal tears, especially in middle-aged older people, do not need surgery. They can be tempered with a good education, explain to the patient they're not going to make it worse if they use it. Sometimes giving a cortisone injection, even physical therapy, can make a huge difference along with uh, lots of reassurance. Now, a little bit different sometimes in our young athletes, We've seen experiences, you know, in, in, in our organization and others where patients have a huge meniscus tear, like what we call a bucket handle tear, where they tear the periphery of the cartilage and it gets flipped into the center of the knee. That is a surgical uh, uh, situation. There's no way to get out from under that. But most of those uh, meniscal tears are not like that. They're much smaller and very easy to initially manage without surgery. Wonderful stuff. Dr. Yeah. Brian Cole, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, co-team physician with the Chicago White Sox. I'm Steve Cash. I hope you're enjoying Sports Medicine Weekly. Back with more after this. On ESPN Radio. I'd been having knee pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance scheduled me right away. No wait. Everything was so easy, and the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I look forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors. Regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality, state-of-the-art health care services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News & World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-BONES. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. That's one way to end up on injured reserve. So is falling off a ladder, lifting something heavy. Ow! That's not good. Or having an accident. At work. Uh-oh. Athletico helps all kinds of people come back from injured reserve. Schedule a free injury screening at athletico.com and find out how physical therapy can decrease pain and discomfort, increase strength and mobility, and help you get back to doing the things you love to do. Athletico Physical Therapy. Better for everybody. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Net proceeds from our show, Sports Medicine Weekly, go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the Live Active Now Dot org fund. You can follow us on Twitter at SMW Home. That stands for Sports Medicine Weekly. Again, SMW Home. We have a Facebook page as well. I'm Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. It is Sports Medicine Weekly. Our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. So, Dr. Cole, uh, I know about a month, month and a half ago, and it's interesting. I mean, at my age, these aches and pains come, and you get so worried about them, they go away. And you, you kind of told me that. You know, I had some shoulder problems, shoulder pain. I think from lifting weights, maybe throwing the baseball with my boys. And you said, you know, probably shoulder tendonitis. You know, we didn't go deep into it. There was no MRI or big physical exam, but you suggested maybe ten, uh, shoulder tendonitis. And sure enough, it went away. That was about a month and a half ago. I've got it again now. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about what tendonitis is exactly, but also about massage therapy, okay? Because I was wondering, 
Can you massage out tendonitis? And I thought maybe this is a kind of a crazy question for a Dr. Brian Cole, but uh, I know off of you said, no, that's a good question. We could talk about that. And, you know, because I'm always thinking aches and pains, you go to a masseuse and they give you that deep tissue massage. But I'm thinking, well, what's the difference between that and tendonitis? I mean, I think the first thing is we need to have a little anatomy lesson just to lay the foundation, right? Okay. So it's kind of, it's all about education. Sure. But I'm not, I don't want to overwhelm anyone. I, I think the way to think about a tendon is uh, we have muscles and we have tendons and we have bone. And muscles sort of attach to the surface of a bone, most likely, or they have a tendon that attaches to the muscle and then they finish up as a tendon attaching into bone. So maybe the easiest way to think about it is muscle is that contractile red substance that gives us strength and so forth, and it then makes its way into a tendon, and that tendon will typically insert into a bone, and it can actually be on either side of the muscle. So much muscles don't attach to the bone. You have to have a tendon there. You have to have a tendon in between. So the classic tendon, now there's exceptions to that, but the classic tendon is attached on one side to the bone and the other side to muscle. Okay. So the reason we get, quote, tendonitis is not because it's an itis, and itis is inflammation in Latin. It's because there's some typically blood supply issue at where the tendon inserts into the bone. Some tendons just become painful. Others actually tear away from the bone over time, and they can behave very differently depending on their location. For example, tendonitis in the Achilles tendon, very common. Patients will complain of pain in the heel area just above the, the bony prominence of the heel. Uh, they'll complain of pain with step off when they push off on the ground. They may even get some nodularity in the tendon and some thickening. Patella tendonitis. Now the patella tendons also very commonly involved. I see that frequently in basketball players. Another name for it is jumper's knee. The difference between the patella tendon is actually inserts on a bone on each side. There's no muscle really in between. You know, It's actually a tendon that starts on the inferior or bottom pole of the, of the kneecap or the patella and inserts on the shin bone. The rotator cuff is unique in that people can have shoulder pain related to, quote, tendonitis of the rotator cuff tendon, uh, but it's the one tendon that not uncommonly through time, degeneration, use, and so forth can actually fail and pull off the bone, and that's what we call a rotator cuff tear. So, Which not, needs to always be surgically repaired? No, no it's another Doesn't, one of those, just okay. like the meniscus we talked about before. Uh, not all rotator cuff tears need to be fixed. Again, just like meniscal tears, if I take 100 people over the age of 50 and get an MRI on their shoulder, about 40 of them will have a significant abnormality on their MRI that might or could represent a tear. Yet, I'm not looking for people on the street who have rotator cuff tears, right? right. We, they come to us when they have symptoms. So there are signs, for example, on an MRI that will help us date the length of time a rotator cuff has been there. And in the, in, with the onset of pain in the presence of what looks like a long-standing rotator cuff tear, most commonly we treat that with physical therapy, with or without an injection, reassurance. The vast majority of people will get better in six to eight weeks despite the fact that they have a tear. What kind of physical therapy would you do for a, a rotator cuff then? Now, so for tendonitis, example. So you're probably thinking about yourself here, which yeah. is fine. Uh, one of the great benefits of the show, you always get medical advice. It's yes. good. We need it. But frankly, if you need it, lots of people need it. So, yeah, yeah. So you're not a minority. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so the most common uh, is range of motion. There are massage techniques, which you asked about, which... Are, as I mentioned, tendonitis can actually be a blood flow problem where there is a compromise in the blood flow in a tendon, and actual physical massage can stimulate blood flow, inflammation, good inflammation in the area to help provide new healing in a tendon. So therapists, for example, we've talked about this on previous shows, will use techniques where they use their hands, or they use hard devices and plastic and so forth to rub very, very hard across a tendon to stimulate a trauma and healing response that improves the blood supply that can then promote healing. We see that in tendonitis of the elbow. 
golfer's elbow and tennis elbow. Lateral epicondylitis for tennis elbow and medial epicondylitis for golfer's elbow. Same thing. That's a muscle tendon. The tendon's inserting on the bone, gets inflamed, and or the blood supply is compromised. There's things that the therapist can do to actually stimulate healing through very aggressive massage techniques. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's not uncommon. I've learned this year for my 10-year-old, who's a pitcher with his travel baseball team, to get tendonized. I said, wait a minute. A 10-year-old can't get tendonitis. Well, you got to be a little careful in that age group because, as we've discussed, open growth plates can mimic tendonitis. Okay. And, they, for example, if his elbow's sore, you got to worry a little bit about uh, uh, the, the, the little league elbow, for example, where it's not the tendon, but rather the bone that the tendon attaches to is the weak link. So as we age and those growth plates close, the energy doesn't go to the growth plate. It goes to the tendon bone insertion. But these young kids, they get inflammation across the growth plate, and that's a whole different situation. And those often require rest to prevent them from going chronic or longstanding and, and getting into a situation where the pain just doesn't go away. Any other treatment? Well, therapy can be helpful, stretching, reducing force across the elbow, limiting pitching, and so forth, for example, for, for, for young kids who have it. For an adult who, say, gets golfer's elbow, uh, you ever had some guys that you play with that their elbows were sore and yeah, so Absolutely, forth? yeah. yeah. Yep. So it can start out with you hitting it fat, you dub into the ground, take a big piece of grass and dirt. Big you know? divot, yeah. Yeah, and uh, jamming the elbow, stimulating some microtrauma to the inner side of the elbow. And then they just get sore, and the soreness doesn't go away, and that's often known as medial epicondylitis. So therapy, stretching, ice, topical anti-inflammatories that we now have, as well as injections. We use injections frequently in that situation. Now, you can't inject every tendon. Like, if you had long-standing rotator cuff tendonitis, very safe to give a cortisone injection. If you have patella tendonitis, it's very unsafe to give a cortisone injection because, because it can lead to rupture of that tendon. There's actually, because there's not much of a blood supply around the patella tendon, and steroids have been shown to reduce the strength of the insertion of tendons in some situations. So you have a lot of capacity in the shoulder joint to give an injection, let it bathe the area. Don't have a whole lot of capacity in, say, an Achilles tendon or a patella tendon, so we don't typically inject those tendons with steroids. There's other things like PRP, platelet-rich plasma we've talked about, that can safely be used with very little or to no risk of a rupture, but we generally don't use steroids for Achilles tendons and patella tendons, generally speaking. And the PRP is taking blood from one uh, part of the body and uh, spinning it and uh, putting it to another, injecting yeah. it to another part of the so body. so PRP is sort of, um, in some ways, st- like steroids uh, uh, gone wild. It provides inflammation reduction, but it does so with growth factors uh, that the body naturally makes that are compartmentalized in platelets. So we take, say, 15 cc's of blood, spin it down a centrifuge for five minutes. It layers out the platelets. It's about two, three, four cc's of platelets in a concentrated serum, and that's injected into the area and provides anti-inflammatory growth factors, like little pharmaceutical stores that help reduce inflammation in important areas. Very effective. We do it in the shoulder, too. We're seeing more PRP out there, you know? Yeah, I mean, is I it think safe, though, because it's very it, safe. We've okay. had, you know, there's been, you know, a couple of reports in uh, maybe some muscle adverse events and so forth, but we have not seen this as an, an epidemic, and I've never seen an adverse event using PRP, and we use it pretty frequently. Now, I use it most commonly for arthritis, but we use it not infrequently for tennis elbow, lateral epicondylitis, uh, things like that, where we otherwise don't want to inject steroid, but we want, might want to try something that's a little bit safer. And, you know, we're getting our arms around the fact of, of its safety. We just finished an FDA trial. We were, we were enrolling patients comparing uh, to a placebo or saline where, who came in with symptomatic arthritis of the knee, and then half got an injection of PRP, half got the uh, saline or salt water, and we're comparing the two. We're fully enrolled. We have not yet looked at the data. But Is it being regulated, though? Well, at this point, it's, there's no real labeling by the FDA to use it in this fashion. So, it's in fact, most PRP use is off-label. You know, it's used to enhance soft tissue healing or to augment uh, bone healing uh, or bone graft uh, substitutes, but there's no labeling for the use that we, we use it for. So that would be considered off-label usage. By the way, you brought up another 
word arthritis. The difference between arthritis and tendonitis is? Yeah, so as I mentioned, tendons attached to muscle and right. bone right on each side. And arthritis is the loss of cartilage typically located within a joint. So that could be the shoulder joint, it could be uh, uh, the elbow, it could be the knee, it could be the hip, it could be the foot and ankle. It's loss of cartilage in those joints and often associated with that is bony changes. So it results in weight-bearing pain and swelling, sometimes locking, catching, things like that. And we make uh, good use of therapy, anti-inflammatories, steroids, and even PRP and now stem cells in that setting to help people with those problems. I'm always thinking arthritis being an old person's disease or... Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I think that's the stereotype, but uh, uh, we see people who are 15, 16 years old with arthritis. With arthritis. That, yeah. that, that amazes me. Yeah, it's not I'm common, just... but uh, and it's often related to injury or previous surgery, but we do see it. Wow. Interesting stuff. Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel. Hope you're enjoying Sports Medicine Weekly. Back with more after this. On ESPN Radio. Allosource's products help surgeons get their patients back into the game of life. Prochondrex, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective, fresh cartilage allograph designed to restore cartilage and restore movement. To learn more about Prochondrex, visit Prochondrex.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org. I'd been having knee pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance and scheduled me right away. No wait. Everything was so easy, and the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I look forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. That's all the time we have for this edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Many thanks to our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger, our board operator and producer, Felix Reyes, as well as David Cole for operating our website and doing our business side of Sports Medicine Weekly. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel. Thanks for listening. Talk with you again next Saturday at 8.30 for another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly, only on ESPN Radio. The preceding program was a paid advertisement. The views reflected are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. 